Okay, today is the last day in November, 2010. November the 30th. I'll remind everybody that we're going to be decorating the church after immediately following this Bible class, and so if you can stay, we'd appreciate your help. Is there coffee? Okay. Cookies? <laughs> Fried chicken? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cooking and coffee, and we will decorate. One other announcement. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have the Bible Bowl face-off here at 6.30. And everyone is invited. This is the young people have been uh, preparing this for this for a while. If you've never seen one, well, I haven't either. This is going to be the first. So if you want to be here and uh, see the young people shine, or maybe not so much shine, whatever's going to happen, 6.30 here, and by 7.30 we're going to be done and going to CC's. Does anybody know, is CC still open at 7.30, I hope? Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. <coughs> and the Christmas party is, let's see, when? The 10th? Okay. And Friday, December the 10th at 6.30. And you can see Mary or put your name on the back, on the paper for bringing food or whatever. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, thank you for another day, another day of your grace. We thank you for your provision and protection, for your wonderful word, for giving us the ability to understand it, and the power to apply it. We pray that you will help us to focus, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last Thursday, we, no, it was last Tuesday. Thursday, we were probably all eating turkey. Uh, last Tuesday, we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and if you'll open your Bibles and go there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are closing out this book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and your soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is referring to Jesus Christ returning, which we call the rapture, to gather his bride, which is what we are. And... We had some discussion with regards to without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That being without blame does not mean that we're going to be sinless or that we're going to be perfect, but it does refer to being experientially sanctified. 
set apart for special blessing. And we started talking about the judgment seat of Christ a bit. And I went on a fairly long diatribe because we started discussing a bit about those who say that they really aren't that bothered with the judgment seat of Christ. They really aren't bothered with growing in grace and knowledge because they know that they're going to heaven. They know they have eternal life. I'm talking about believers. They know that they can't lose that life, that they have eternal security. And the only thing that matters to them is that they're going to be in heaven and they just can't be that bothered here on earth about spiritual matters. Maybe a little bit, but not too much. And that is a something that just... Well, it it gets a, it's like a burr under my saddle because there's so many believers that have that attitude and if if they are right, if it really doesn't matter as far as growing up spiritually, then why are we here? We are as saved as we will ever be the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ. God gives us all these things that cannot be improved upon. We are secure. We are going to heaven. But what a lot of people don't realize is that heaven is going to be full of people who are unequal. There are going to be believers there that are going to be rewarded, decorated, and have eternal privileges and opportunities. They will be able to go places and do things and see things that others will not. And this will last for all eternity. It's beyond me how someone cannot be interested in that and really not care. It could be that they just don't believe it. Every one of us are going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. I was telling the young people not long ago that that word in the Greek is actually just one word, bema, B-E-M-A, translated into English, the judgment seat of Christ. And I explained to them that if you've ever seen the Olympics, that podium type thing that they stand on, that stair-stepped, you know what that's called? The Bema. And that gives you an idea of what the Bema seat is all about. It's who's going who's to be rewarded, who's going to be decorated, who is really going to shine in heaven. That's what it's about. It's not about your sins. Sins aren't going to be mentioned. But we, we also spoke a little bit about there's going to be shame at the judgment seat of Christ for believers who squandered their time here on earth. A lot of them don't think about that. Either they don't know it or they just purposely block it out of their minds. And I said I had some verses. I didn't have them last Tuesday, but I have them now if you'd like to jot them down. These are verses that have to do with believers being ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, Now little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Now, of course, 
after at his coming is when we're going to receive our resurrection body and the next thing on the agenda is the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we would be, or at least some, are going to be shrinking away in shame. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. I advise you to buy for me, uh, from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves. By the way, that white garments is part of the rewards for mature believers. I personally think it's going to be some type of translucent light that is going to emit and glow as part of your uniform of glory. So he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be able to become rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now this Revelation chapter 3 is probably one of the most often misunderstood chapters in the Bible. Yea, I stand at the door and knock. And many people think that that's Christ knocking on the door with regards to salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. The entire part of that scripture in Revelation 3 has to do with divine discipline. And opening the door is rebound. It's not believing in Jesus Christ in the context. Luke, uh, excuse me, uh, Revelation 16:15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. The context of that is Christ coming like a thief, unexpected, not knowing when, and that you need to stay awake. Stay awake, being alert, taking in the Word so that you won't. Walk around naked and men will not see the shame. The context of that is when what? When it comes as a thief. The rapture. Luke 9.26 For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So I would take it that if Christ is ashamed of us, that that would be that you would be in a shameful condition, that you would be ashamed. Philippians chapter one verse twenty. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body 
whether by life or by death. Paul was concerned about not being put to shame, and we should also. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, the converse of being abundantly supplied, the opposite of that would be getting into heaven by, as they say, the skin of your teeth, which means, I think, ashamedness goes with that. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in, that, in the day of Christ, what is the day of Christ? That's the rapture. I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This is yet another verse that would suggest that the communicator of the word is going to somehow have a part to play in the reward ceremonies. There are some pastors that call this the, uh, the Nike Awards. The reason they call it Nike is because Nike in the Greek means victor, winner. That's why they have them on your tennis shoes, uh, Nike. So there is going to be a Nike awards ceremony. And there are going to be those who are going to be essentially um, rewarded and decorated, glorified and so forth, and others are going to be shr are shrinking back in shame. Then we have our current verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And remember we went into that for a while because there's different types of sanctification. There is the first type is the sanctification at salvation. And that is... Positional sanctification happens in a moment of time. God accomplishes it. The second type is experiential sanctification, and that's what we are endeavoring to do, or maybe I should say to be experientially sanctified in our experience on, in time during this earth to be set apart for blessing, to receive our escrow blessings both in time and look forward to them in eternity. We went to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to see that they're already there. We, the, the blessings are there. It's just a matter of are we going to have those released after we prove ourselves during our experience on time to be worthy to be experientially sanctified. And then the last type of sanctification is ultimate sanctification, which is where God can do the most for us for all eternity. And at that point, 
It's just altogether grand. We'll have bodies that have no pain. Maybe some of y'all are sitting there dealing with pain. I'm standing here dealing with pain. But so what? It's temporary. It's nothing. This too shall pass. And we will have a body that will experience no more pain. And for those who are experientially sanctified during time are going to have the most wonderful eternity that anyone can imagine. And then we have 2 Timothy 1.12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I want you all to go to your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy 1.12 and put a star by it, circle it, somehow highlight it. I want to read it again once you get there because this is a phenomenal verse. He's expressing great confidence. It is this confidence that is the motivating factor that moves us forward. For this reason, I also suffer these things. You can decide to take the line of least resistance in this life, but if you do, you're not going to be living it as an experientially sanctified believer because sometimes you have to take the hard, the hard way, the difficult course, because the, the right way is usually not the easy way. But when you do that, then you can, with Paul, say that you suffered these things and he's not ashamed, not ashamed of doing it. He wasn't a fool for doing it because I know, underline I know, this is so important in the Christian life. We see it over and over. You have to know something. For I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. What have you entrusted to him? This is not a salvational verse. This is an experiential sanctification verse. All of the decisions that you make, the difficulty that you face, the effort, the work, the inconvenience of growing in grace and being a faithful servant, is what he has entrusted to the Lord. And he is convinced that he is able to guard that. He, it's, it's guarded. Not only is it not forgotten, God takes all of that into consideration and he guards it. It can't be, it can't be taken away against that day. What is that day? The day is when Christ returns. And following that is the Bama seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And we shouldn't dread that. We should be looking forward to it. Not that we are all that great. Do you know one reason we can look forward to it without any arrogance being involved? It's because God is the one that accomplishes all the things through us. We don't do any of this on our own power. We live a supernatural life. We draw from His power, from His knowledge. It's all about Him. 
So we, we can't take credit for it. We just have a God that is so wonderful that He decorates us and gives us honor and privileges and decorations and crowns and all these things essentially because we allowed Him to work through us. Can't do it on our own. Isn't that a wonderful God? That's why we can't strut about and crow. I can't wait to the judgment seat of Christ so I can really shine. Well, that's a big-headed, pompous, arrogant soul that says something like that. I know, standing before Jesus Christ in your, in your life being evaluated, you just, you just kind of shudder. But think of Jesus Christ, how gracious He is. And He wants to give you these things. And if you get them now in time, you're going to get it doubled, tripled, and compounded for all eternity. So those are the verses that demonstrate that there is shame at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you have them all? You need, anybody need them repeated? Any of them repeated? The first one was 1 John 2.28. Okay. Now we're going to press on. We only have a few verses left in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to move on to verse 24 in a minute. I guess we still have a little bit to go here in verse, yeah. We have a little bit to, to, to continue in verse 24. We'll go through this fairly rapidly. I'll let you see the notes as we go. <coughs> At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think I covered this already, it's Parousia, or parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. It's a noun, dative, singular, feminine. It's talking about Christ's return. Looks like a verb, but it's not. It's talking about the, uh, an event, and the event is the rapture. This verse reminds us that we will still have a mission to fulfill after we are saved. We are to take advantage of the grace provisions God has given us to advance spiritually and hold the spiritual high ground until the end of our lives or until Jesus Christ returns. That is our mission. What are we to do? We are to continue to exploit God's grace. We are continuing to be obedient to His command, to assemble ourselves together, to study, to show ourselves approved. All of these things are what we continue to do, and we must do that, until Christ returns or we check out one or the other. And we saw this. 1 John 2.28 is where we went to these other ones. I don't remember if I gave you these other verses, but we'll go through them quickly. 1 Timothy 6.14. Keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are without spot positionally, of course, because we have God's righteousness. But we have to be unrebukable, not sinless, but we are to keep on keeping on with regards to our Christian life until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, verse 2 and 4. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. I always like that. I heard a a Baptist preacher one time say that, and it just it 
imprinted on my brain. I can't say it the way he did, but he would say something like, and don't get that filthy lucre. Boy, I thought, all right. <laughs> I don't want filthy lucre. I don't know what it means, but I don't want him. But of a ready mind, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, Jesus Christ, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. That is our hope. You'd be surprised how many believers are still hoping that they're going to go to heaven. That is a baby believer if indeed they are a believer. That's a done deal. Now it's all about what are we going to be in heaven? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Are we going to be faithful servants during this time or not? 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That is the message over and over. Because we all face the challenge sometimes. Well, do I really want to do this? I'm tired. I'm hurting. It's just another Bible class. If I miss one, it's no big deal. I don't have to witness. Other people are witnessing. I'm not that good at it. All those kinds of things want to come into our minds, and we have to work against that. We have to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And why? Because we know that that toil is not in vain because the Lord knows it. Knows It's kept, remember? Paul said that he... Uh, he has committed these things to the Lord who keeps them for that day. What a day that's going to be. We are responsible to persevere to the end, and the Lord provides everything necessary to do so. Got that? We persevere, He provides. We persevere, He provides. That'd be nice to jot down. I mean, that's just a nutshell of what we're here for. This is a motivating force. We persevere, He provides. God does not save a person by grace and then leave him alone to work out his Christian growth by his own human works. We work, but we work through a supernatural power that God provides. We live the Christian life through a supernatural book that's alive and powerful. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, the Galatians, they understood salvational grace. But then they had to start, they listened to the Judaizers, and the next thing you knew, they were trying to keep the law in order to continue to be saved and to grow in grace. And that's no grace at all. So Paul was straightening them out on that. Verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. This verse is so important to us to learn. Why? That first part. Faithful is he. Faithful is he, always. No one can reach spiritual maturity without recognizing the truth of this verse. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. What is it talking about? The it. Bring what to pass? His will for your life. 
We're not here to serve ourselves. We're here to serve Him. And He is faithful. He has called you. We'll see a little bit more about the calling in just a minute. But He is faithful. He is always faithful. Once a believer believes this verse, life becomes much more enjoyable and less complicated. Why? Because when you're in a dilemma, when you're facing a problem, it may seem like it's insolvable. It may seem like no one can, can make this turn out for good, but God can. And you just relax. You faith rest. And so it makes it more enjoyable because you're not in a panic all the time. You're trusting Him. Well, what if you do something wrong? Well, is that going to thwart the plan of God because you do something wrong? No. Less complicated. Wouldn't you like your life to be less complicated? The only way to live the Christian way of life is in a supernatural way. And God provides the way. He provides the power. He provides the knowledge. He provides everything. All we do is tap into it through our positive volition. Learn and grow. God's calling through the gospel of His Son begins a good work that gives believers a future hope. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you. What's the good work? When you believe in Jesus Christ, He accomplished that. That's the good work. Now it says He's confident that He who began the good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What do you get out of that? Yeah, we're doing the work, but who is, who is doing it through us? Who's providing everything? The Lord is. So he's confident that who, he who did the most, remember the a fortiori principle? You aren't beginners here. You probably remember a fortiori, the Latin phrase, with greater reason. If God did the hardest and the most for us at salvation, which was to save our sorry souls, if that was the hardest thing for him to do, and that is already accomplished, then surely... He can do something that's much easier, which is to perfect us until the day of Christ Jesus. To perfect us. Or to perfect it. Perfect the good work. He's just talking about to bring us to completion from babyhood into adulthood, into a mature believer. He can do it. He can do it until when? What does it say? Until the day of Christ Jesus. He's able to do it. Well, what if we don't make it till the day of Jesus, to his return? Well, he'll, he'll do it until you and I are dead and gone and it is remembered. Whether we make it to the day of the Lord or not, we are still to persevere. God doesn't do the work of sanctifying us experientially. He enables us to do the work and will continue to do so until the rapture. That's what this verse is talking about. He doesn't do the work. He wants us to do the work. 
Because when we do the work by trusting Him and applying doctrine to the circumstances, He blesses us and He's glorified. That's His plan. His plan is to give us more and more blessings which brings Him more and more glory. And He will perfect that. He will continue to do it until the day of Christ. Now, the present participle present tense participle here, who calls, highlights the ongoing work of God among his children. Look at here. Faithful is he who calls you. Present tense. It's as if he continues being occupied with you. He continues to perfect you. It's an ongoing thing. That's why we know that this is talking about experiential if it was talking about positional, it would be in the aorist tense, not the present. It's an ongoing thing. God's calling through the gospel of His Son begins a good work. But now we're going to drop down to 1 Corinthians 1.9. Look at this. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this isn't positional, is it? Does God call us to be believers in His Son? Yes, He does. That's a positional sense. How does He call us? He calls us through the Gospel. He calls us through common grace and efficacious grace. I assume that you know what those are. If you don't, come tomorrow and you can hear the kids answer that one. He is faithful to provide everything necessary for us to do what He called us to do. That's not hard. If the, the question is, do you believe it or not? Sometimes He calls us to do things that are above us, doesn't He? He calls every one of us to do things that are above us. Unconditional or impersonal love is above us. It's above every one of us. But he says, do it. And he has provided the Holy Spirit, his word, everything that we need in order to do it. But we decide whether we're going to do it or not. He doesn't... There are some who think that, well, God is in us and He's supernaturally doing everything. We're just going along for the ride. And that is not true. God expects us to work. He commands us to work. Ephesians 2.10 We are created unto good works. Why? Because He wants to decorate us. He wants to bless us, glorify us for all eternity. What a great plan. So the calling, let's go back up to our verse right here. Faithful is he who called you, and he also will bring it to pass. See, I, he's already brought about, brought to pass our salvation, eternal salvation. That's done. But what most people don't get is the New Testament is constantly saying, Stay the course. Keep growing. Keep learning. 
Keep working. It's, it's worth it. Don't get discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. Hang in there. Keep exploiting His grace. Keep depending upon His provision. Why? Faithful is He who called you. And He will bring it to pass. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3, But the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Part of this journey that God wants us to go on from babyhood into spiritual maturity is going to be hard at times because the evil one, either Satan or his minions, his demon army, is going to try to derail us. But even there, we have this promise. But the Lord is faithful. Same thing as our verse. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have nothing to fear. What are we to do? Resist him. Resisting is not going on the attack. And we resist him with the doctrine we have. 1 Peter 1.5 Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this can be either positional, not, not, I shouldn't say either, it is positional and experiential. We are kept by the power of God. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, it says we are kept by the power of God here. And this has the, the nuance of eternal salvation. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation because it's kept by God's power, not by our power. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to work in order to maintain it. It's already done. It's kept by God's power. But it even goes to the experiential part. We are kept, it says, who are kept by the power of God. The who would suggest that this is talking about positional. We are kept by the power of God unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But what I'm saying, along with this positional, not only this verse is dealing mainly with positional, but isn't that true with regards to experiential also? Isn't that what Paul was saying, that I have dedicated to him, I have confidence that he will keep that which I have entrusted to him against that day? Isn't that him keeping that salvation, that deliverance until that day? The power of God provides an eternal salvation which will be revealed at the rapture. His power also provides a deliverance from the world, the flesh, and the devil so that we can stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ as faithful servants. Remember when we were studying Joshua? How a great title was that the Bible says that Moses was the servant of the Lord? Joshua didn't get that accolade until he had passed the test at the end of the book. And that's what we want to hear. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You won't hear that if you don't serve. You won't... Hear that if you don't know how to serve. If you hadn't connected the dots, spiritually speaking, you'll never hear that. And you will be ashamed 
at the judgment seat of Christ and you will lose out for all eternity. Verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. This is the Greek word prosuchomai. P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. It's a verb. It's the present middle imperative. This is kind of unusual. Present middle imperative. The, the middle voice means that the subject of the verb, which, is, which are believers, are affected by their own action or are acting upon themselves. Now, this is, this is a command. But see, when you pray for someone else, you are involved in that action and it reflects back on you. That's what that middle voice does here. When we pray for someone else, everyone is benefited, the person we pray for, and us as well. Why are we benefited when we pray for others? Anybody got an idea? I mean, we are. Why? The middle voice tells us that we are here. Well, how about, number one, we're being obedient. We're, we're commanded to pray for others. What about sharing in the results of what happens? I, I got two emails today from Martin Mueller. Martin Mueller is a just an exemplary, just an inspiration as far as being a believer who has gone under unbelievable suffering and still has a sense of humor and still applies doctrine. Uh, it, uh, we have the, I'm going to have the, the emails, that, the reports that I have. In fact, I have one right here. I want to get them in the bulletin so you can read and see what a, a mature believer under fire, what they think, how they keep their sense of humor. He is going through unimaginable surgeries and has for a long time. And yet he keeps his head high and he keeps, he keeps um, applying his doctrine. And we are honored to obey God to pray for him. I got an email this morning and said that he was in surgery right then. And so I just bowed my head and said a prayer for him at that very moment. About 20 minutes later, I got an email and it was a glowing report about this surgery that he was going through. He's finally going to be able to open his mouth. In fact, it says right here, all in bold, it says, the complete mandible jaw here... Uh, Reconstruction will not be done today, but drum roll, please. It will, he will be able to open his mouth. How would you like to eat through a tube liquid for months and months and not be able to talk? Well, anyway, what I'm saying is it was a privilege for me to pray for him. And when I got the, the report back that it was... It was very good news. I replied and said I was just praying for Martin when I got the first email. And now I already see that God answered the prayer through the other email. Now that's, that's beneficial. I mean, I just thought, man, I, had to, I don't take any credit at all, but I have a little part to play in that. Because God hears my prayers. And, he, and, and when you don't, plug in to this prayer, praying for others, you miss out. 
Yes, Michael. Yeah, it's it's when you love someone, you not you you nearly automatically pray anyone. But but God never stops there, does he? What does he What does he say? Pray for your enemies. Oh man, does that have to be in there? I don't want to pray for. I don't even like them. I like to sock, sock them in the jaw. God says, no, pray for your enemies. And I've done it. Have you done it? I've done it and really meant it. I mean, it, leave it in the Lord's hands. So this prosukamai, praying. The middle voice there, it's a, the, it's a command. And it's the present. We're to continue to do that. And we're benefited by it. Everyone wins when you pray for someone. Everyone needs prayer, but especially those who are communicators of the Word of God need prayer. They are under constant attack as the forces of darkness are always trying to either neutralize their ministries or turn them to the dark side. And I solicit your prayers. I pray for y'all. I pray for y'all by name. I don't do it all the time. Because there's a pretty big list. And I can't stay awake that long sometimes. But see, this is what, when we get up here to the verse. Brethren, pray for us. Who is the us? It's Paul's and the other ones that were with him who are communicators of the word. They're under special attack. So Paul asked for prayer often in his letters. Here's a few, few verses. Romans 15, 30 through 31. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Verse 31, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jer- Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. 2 Corinthians 1.11 You also joining in helping us through your prayers. Ephesians 6.19 And pray on my behalf. Colossians 4.3 Praying at the same time for us as well. And then 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Finally, brethren, pray for us. He did it all the time. He needs prayer. Because no communicator of the Word can make it on his own. He has to have the power of God to guide him, to strengthen him, to keep him straight, to be able to lead. Can't do it without prayers. And I've heard, heard some of you pray for me, and it always means a lot to me. I never take that for granted. Missionaries, you hear them. Above all else, what do they say do? Pray. Also, the writers of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 18 says, pray for us, spiritual leaders. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26. Greet all the brethren. We have aspozomai, A-S-P-O-Z-O-M-A-I. It's a verb. And we have the aorist middle imperative. It means to embrace, to salute. Spoken here of those who meet on our part company. It can either be... When you meet or when you part company, this word is used. It was common in Paul's culture. Well, I better go down here. With a holy kiss. 
by the way, is where we're going. To understand that, this is taken from um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, uh, Walford and Zuck, and it says the following. It was common in Paul's culture, as in many cultures today, to greet friends with a kiss on the cheek. The men greeted other men this way, and women did the same with other women. You don't see that here, do you? You're not going to see me kissing any guy on the cheek. It ain't going to happen. Now, I'll shake hands. I might hug him, but there ain't going to be no cheek kissing. Maybe the ladies, but I'm not going to kiss old scratchy beard on, for anybody. I mean, this is... But it was, it was okay then. It was part of their culture. That's the way they greeted. But you don't expect it of us. Such a kiss communicated personal affection, not romantic love. But urging this practice... Paul was encouraging an outward physical expression of true Christian love in a form that was culturally accepted in his day. The kiss was to be holy, not passionate or fleshly. An accepted alternative in the Western culture today might be an embrace, a pat on the back, or a handshake. Did you hear that? An embrace? We are a hugging church, aren't we? <laughs> And if anybody has a problem with it, uh, well, maybe they'd rather have a kiss on the cheek. I don't know. You might ask them that. Well, I'm not a hugger. Oh, then you like the holy kiss. So it says we are to greet them with a holy kiss. You have the a kiss here is an interesting word. Philema. Where do you think that word came from? What does it sound like? Phileo. That's personal love. See, you don't go up and kiss somebody on cheek you don't know. Someone you know, someone you care about. Philema, P-H-I-L-E-M-A. It's a noun, dative, singular, neuter. And it was to love, befriend, kiss, a kiss or token of love or friendship. The kiss is called holy because it was a symbol of Christian affection. Verse 27, folks, we only got one more. We're going we're gonna to grind it out. We're nearly there. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Now, the, when was the last time you heard someone say adjure? That's a good word. I like it. I adjure you. We might say urge or implore. It, the Greek word here is horkidzo. H-O-R-K-I-Z-O. It's a verb, present, active, indicative, a strong word used that required an oath of someone. In, in effect, Paul was requiring a pledge from the recipients of this letter. Requiring such a pledge was not a common feature of his letters. This only occurs here. Now, this means it's very important. He is, he is telling them, I want you to take an oath by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. He wanted it read. That's why you have that horkidzo. To have this letter read is anagenosko, A-N-A-G-I-N-O-S-K-O. It's an infinitive, an heiress, uh, it's an heiress present, excuse me, heiress passive. Ana is an emphatic plus genosko to know. 
It means to perceive accurately or to read aloud before others. If there were any in the congregation who opposed Paul or this letter who didn't want it to be read, the letter itself overruled them. There might have been someone that didn't like Paul and didn't want that letter read. This is official letter, part of the, wind up being part of the canon of Scripture, and they were to read it to all, read, to have this letter read, read. And it usually means to be read aloud. Sometimes there might have been a issue where the, these people could read or not. A lot of them were not able to read, so they would hear it read aloud. Yes. No, it's an infinitive, and it's the aorist passive. Uh-huh. An infinitive, anytime you have in the English to have, to do, it's an infinitive. Okay, and it doesn't have a tense on it. Yeah, it's an aorist passive. See, to have it read for them to receive this letter, and it was very important. To all the brethren... Were there, uh, were there some problems in the church that Paul wanted to get, by, uh, get at by having everyone hear his words? In other words, maybe there was a problem he was trying to address it. He wanted everybody to hear it. Or did he realize that everyone hears his words? Or, excuse me, or did he realize that this epistle was written under divine inspiration and was therefore spiritually valuable? Perhaps, perhaps he had both motives. I'm not sure whether he knew that this was going to be part of the canon and they needed to hear that or whether he was dealing with an issue. I'm not sure. Page 100, the last word and the last, I mean the last page and the last verse. By the way, Country Bible Church can be added to the list of churches that have been faithful in reading this, people, uh, this epistle to all the people just as Paul urged. That is, all the people that are here and care to hear it. Verse 28, 1 Thessalonians 5, 28. This is our last verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This was the typical salutation to be found at the end of Paul's letters. Of course, Paul knew that the grace of the Lord is always with believers. I mean, he's saying the grace be with you. He knew that the grace is always there and it's always sufficient. But his desire was that they would experience it and enjoy it. That's what he meant by that. We all have grace, but experiencing it, exploiting it, using it, and enjoying it is another thing. And here's the last thing. If you're, if you're reading a King James or a New King James Version, it has amen at the end, but there is no amen. There is no amen in the original. That was something that was added. So you can say amen if you want to, but it just can't be part of the scripture because it's not there. So there you have it. First Thessalonians chapter 5 completes the epistle. I thought I might have time to ask you some of the highlights, but I don't have time. I was going to stop a little bit early so we could have time to decorate, but I think the word takes precedence over that. 
So, we'll meet again here Thursday, and we'll see what we're going to learn then. Hope you're able to make it tomorrow night. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time to study your mighty word. We're so thankful that you have kept everything that we have committed to you with regards to our, our work that you have enabled us to do against that day. It's a great motivating force. We pray that you will help us to stay the course and to meditate upon the things we learned in 1 Thessalonians. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.